Hey there, Sinister Citizens! Welcome to another episode of the Sinister Soup Podcast, the show where we discuss genre fiction through the lens of sci-fi and fantasy and horror, film, books, shows, and ridiculous conversations like this intro. So today, we're going to be discussing all of the above-mentioned things in the forms of our three primary segments, the first of which is Bring Some Culture! Yay! So, Travis, what you got for culture right now? I got a band. Okay. Which one? They're called Palms or Kings, and their lead singer, I forget his name, is on TikTok, and he started... His whole advertising shtick started with something I really enjoy. I think he even made a t-shirt of the phrase. It's, um, you don't hate country, you're just not listening to the right stuff. <laughs> and I, I very much just agree with that sentiment, because I think I tell a lot of people, I've kind of just leaned into the telling people, what's your favorite genre? Country. And having them judge me at first and then be like, hold up listen to what i actually listen to this is this is the country i like and it's it's a lot more like the classic stuff and the bands that i've showed you they're modern day but have that kind of old timey sound that goes down to the like roots of americana he has that as his tiktok advertising uh, channel that kind of like rediscovers that americana sounding country that folk country a lot of people calling it these days whiskey country as opposed to beer country um and his band is very much in that genre as well. They have one album, Palm de Terre, on Spotify. Um, and their name is Pons or Kings. And yeah, they're good. And he also suggests a lot of great music. Uh, so right. if you're into that kind of country music, then check them out. So for the, the listeners who may not be familiar with those two terms you brought up there, what's the difference between whiskey country and beer country? <laughs> Uh, you, I think it's a good way to describe them because you just think about what you do while you're listening to it. So beer country is like your, you know, your, your pop country that's on the radio. Like it might play at a party and you don't necessarily like it, but like people are having fun and you can dance to it and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I don't think it's the best music, like, but you know, Florida Georgia line comes on at a college party. Mm Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. going to enjoy it. You're going to bop your head. That's beer country. It makes um, you want to roll your windows down. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As they said. Increase. Um, yeah. Whiskey country is like, you know, that's the old Americana folk style. Base. It's totally focused on lyrics. You're going to sit down and analyze them. A lot of it is about darker themes. I mean, you listen to like a lot of old old time country like george jones it's going to be uh alcoholism and bad relationships and learning how to deal with like traumatic experiences and there's still a lot of that around and there's still there's a lot of stuff that's like not totally dark but has like really really good lyrics and that's that's going to be whiskey country where it's kind of simpler tone usually slower but the lyrical content is just amazing i mean yeah you've been on this country kick kicking it pretty hard for the last couple years so a lot of the stuff you showed me has definitely turned me around on on the genre because for a while i was definitely a pretty much just a country hater from growing up in an environment that was pretty oversaturated with beer country 
Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I have liked the stuff that you've shown me. So new respect for, for those musicians for sure. And there's good music in every genre. So there is, there is, you just got to find the stuff that speaks to you. And I, I always tell people whiskey country is like no country for old men. Beer country is like the fast and furious franchise. You know, you can have fun with both, but one's definitely better. <laughs> sure. Sure. Right on. Well, that sounds great. All so right. what did you bring as we talked about country music for far longer than I thought we would? I brought a few guys who have been inspiring me for the last couple of years. In particular, these guys are part of the reason that I decided to go full time as an author. They are part of the reason I believed I could do it. And I've been following a lot of their methods outlined in their book, Write, Publish, Repeat, ever since I picked it up. Uh, yeah, about two and a half, three years ago. Um, mm. And since then, I've also read many of their novels, um, their short stories, and all kinds of stuff like that. But um, they are presently and shall remain for the foreseeable future three of my favorite writers who have now formed a publishing company. Um, they've had a couple other publishing companies in the past, but the name that they're currently publishing under is Sterling and Stone. All right. Um, and these guys are David Wright, Johnny B. Truant, and Sean Platt. They're just three phenomenally talented, phenomenally successful independent authors. All three of them are indie authors. They've taken their writing from literally uh, having to give up houses because they refuse to quit writing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, and get real jobs to, you know, now they're selling their stories to television for television pilots and things like that. Um, and running their own very successful independent publishing house, Sterling and Stone. So these guys are just awesome. They uh, host several podcasts. They've done a few different podcasts over the years. But if you now go to Sterling and Stone, you can find many of the podcasts they've been on, many of the podcasts they still host. Um, and they're coming out with some new ones that are centered on fiction, a lot like this one, actually. But, you know, uh, they have a lot more resources than we do, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, those guys are just awesome. I can't say enough good about them. But if you're a reader or a podcast listener, Sterling and Stone has literally hundreds and hundreds of things for you to dive into. Uh, pretty much anything you could want in terms of genre fiction they've written everything from fantasy westerns utopian sci-fi normal sci-fi erotic sci-fi <laughs> <laughs> these guys are awesome i mean they've literally written hundreds of novels they've written so many things so to try to describe them all here is pretty pointless impossible in this segment really i could gush about them forever but what i really just want to do is make sure you all know they exist sterling and stone Go check them out. Read some of their stuff. I recommend Unicorn Western. That's one of my favorites. Um, also, Yesterday's Gone, post-apocalyptic horror story series. Um, and then Fat Vampire is another great humorous, humor slash horror kind of thing. All right. Yeah. I mean, any group that is doing amazing things for the creative writing community, as well as, you know, just respect the grind. That sounds like they really have climbed up to the top from the dredges so that's awesome i love that i can dive more into their stuff now that i know about them too absolutely yeah and i mean they were grinding long before self-publishing was what it is today mm -hmm. i mean they started their journey back when it was pretty much like right writer career death 
to try to be a self-published writer, ex especially exclusively, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they were doing this back in 2011, 2010. So uh, what they managed to pull off is pretty incredible and hard to fathom in this world now where the stigmata, uh, the stigma around self-publishing has largely dissipated. But um, yeah, um, and if you want to know how they did that, read their book, Write, Publish, Repeat. I love that book. It's actually one of my favorite books they've written. So I'll put links to all that stuff in the description. And while we're on the topic of Sterling and Stone, we might be interviewing them on this show. Oh, Sneak yeah. peek. Sneak yeah. Peek. <laughs> uh, so if you like their stuff, join my newsletter, clayformolenfiction.com. Keep updated on that. Because if we do get an interview from them, I'm going to release the video footage in my newsletter exclusive to the the newsletter people for right now and then it might be released again later but yeah if you want to see that actual videotaped interview as opposed to just listening to the podcast audio go ahead and join the newsletter and that's where it'll be when we do that indeed if you want to see our ugly mugs and the much probably much better looking faces of johnny sean and david join that newsletter yeah also that'll be uncut I'm I'm not gonna edit that at all. Whereas I edit all this podcast episode. So oh yeah, um, we say so many terrible. Not really. We don't we don't say much bad stuff. But not bad as in inappropriate, but bad as in like nobody wants to listen to it. That's for sure. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> so all that stuff, it'll it'll be uncut. Anyway, join the newsletter if you haven't already. There's lots of fun goodies in there. Indeed. Moving on, next segment of the podcast, as always, is going to be our forced entrollment segment. This is our favorite segment, our biggest segment. We're going to roll D20s. The higher roll defends the book, series, or movie that we're talking about this week. The lower roll tears it apart, regardless of what we think. We also do a trivia round. Yeah. Someone asked a question. If the answerer gets it correct, they get advantage, meaning they get to roll twice and take the more favorable dice of their two rolls, depending on whether they rather attack or defend the piece of art that we are using as our subject for the week. This week, we are doing a classic. Travis, Alien. what classic? Alien. Alien. Alien is definitively... A classic. We are not going to... I'm not going to get into whether or not I like Alien yet, because that's for later in the show, but there is no denying, literally no denying, that this movie is a classic. It has one of the most iconic taglines of all horror movie history. In space, no one can hear you scream. Classic. Um, classic. It was one of Ridley Scott's debut movies, and... He has become an icon in the horror sci-fi genre for film. Um, and the storyline is pretty simple, uh, which is kind of strange. Usually we do some complex stuff we got to really narrow down on. Alien is about a crew investigating a mining company on a distant moon that has gone and sent out a distress signal. And they find um, some strange things there. Awesome. Uh, some aliens, huh? <laughs> and basically, really just one. mostly just one. Yeah. Well, no, they find several. They find they find five, dead aliens. But one gets on their ship 
and yeah. wreaks havoc. And that's pretty much the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it is more than that, which we'll probably get into in the criticisms. But yeah, this is a classic in the horror sci-fi genres and has lasted a long time throughout his throughout film history. Word. All right. I, I agree <laughs> with that. So the trivia question. All right. You. Sure. Give it to me. Do you want the you want the challenge or the multiple choice? Multiple choice. You want the easier one. Okay. Fine. Alien. Oh, you can give me the challenge. <laughs> I'll, I'll get it wrong probably, but Alien is um, famous for a lot of things, but it's also famous for its stellar cast: Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, Ian Holm, Harry Dean Stanton all in one movie on one spaceship before their careers had blown up like they have now. But a lot of people don't know that the alien was played by a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, this mm-hmm. was before CGI had developed a bunch. His name was Balaji Badejo. And my question for you, how tall is Balaji mm-hmm. Badejo? 6'8". Final answer? Yeah. So close. So close. He is actually 6'10". Hmm. Okay. Which is insane. Yeah, that's a big dude. <laughs> yeah, 6'10", dressed up in the alien costume, crawling around on all fours. Mm-hmm. That's that's acting. That's in, it, incredible to me. Oh, yeah. For sure. All right. I'm taking my advantage. Okay. What'd you get? I got a four, so. I'm higher. Yep. Cool, 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 cool. All right. The clock for me starts now. Alien. I mean, this is an easy task, man. <laughs> like, truly an easy task. This is one of the greatest horror, horror sci-fi films of all time. This ranks up there with me for with The Thing um, for different reasons, but let's not get into The Thing. Alien is tense it is impeccably filmed the graphic effects hold up a lot of them even to this day because most of them were 100 percent practical about the only thing that doesn't hold up is they're like janky computers that are in the spaceship <laughs> <laughs> that look like like an old like microsoft from 1982 or whatever but beyond that like the way that they created this atmospheric horror that you very rarely actually see the alien it's about what you don't see and about the noises happening in the corners and the pure just adrenaline and fear you get from wondering what corner the thing is going to be around next um and also this this keen ability that it had of making you know that no one was safe the lead character spoiler alert the last one alive uh, Sigourney Weaver's character doesn't even really start as the lead you are not kind of in on it on who is going to be this last man standing um it could be any one of the crew all of them have the same kind of star status but the movie does a great job really keeping you on your toes with who's going to actually be this last mano a mano fight with the alien and I think that's solidified with like the first death being John Hurt who was a is a big name actor. Besides all that, I really just think 
there's a reason this movie has stood the test of time. I personally think it's better than the sequel. I know a lot of people disagree with me on that, but I think the sequel is more of an action movie. And Alien is definitively a horror film um, and one of the best that's ever been made. Visually stunning, well acted, tense as all hell. So it holds up. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's kind of like watching a lot of those old movies these days with how far we've come with, with visual effects. And I love practical effects, so don't get me wrong on that. Like, I, I do like the set of Alien, for sure. Um, but even still, like, it's hard to compete with monster movies these days when you look at, like, that slow, clunky alien costume. You're really, like, the the tension in that movie isn't what I remember it being when I watched it, like, as a little kid. Because the alien moves so slow, you know? He's, like barely able to move at all times and like if if people don't like stand there and gawk and scream at him for like five seconds then they would never get killed because that's what they all do before they die they have no. like, have a little staring contest with this alien except for the couple that it gets from behind but i don't know it's okay overall I think that it's a little slow, a little clunky, and that kind of takes a lot of the horror out of it for me. But my main beef with Alien, and I have this beef with any movie or story that has this problem, it has a bunch of characters that like don't matter to the story at all. And I hate that. There's like three characters who are clearly just there as, to me, frankly, it feels like token roles. Um, like the second woman on the ship can't even remember the character's name because she is so unimportant she's literally just there to be like a, a shrieking damsel in distress and I hate 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 that character she literally <laughs> does nothing she never has any like actual purpose she contributes nothing to the team other than to be like a dissenting voice and when her time to like escape or like help out with the crew comes she literally stands in a corner and screams until the alien kills her while the other guy is like fighting to save her and that's why he dies i wish he would have just left her because she was useless i hate that character hate her i don't know why she's in the movie and like when i'm when i'm writing a story i like anytime i see like two characters that are basically doing one thing i just bunch them together into one character i think they could have done that with like half the cast of alien and then they could have actually developed them i don't feel like hardly any of those characters are developed aside from like the maintenance guys are sort of developed uh because they're kind of like the comedic relief and then the captain the cyborg and sigourney weaver's character are developed everybody else you no. literally just named 90% of the cast. This cast is literally only seven people. And okay. you said I'm two, talking about two construction workers. That's no, no, two. just just really one of them. I think they're both very well done. I love their dialogue. That was going to be my next good point on this movie. I, I love a movie that really highlights the working class man very well and like i love that alien does that like it had a grip from its script on that of these guys are like you know i'm up here doing my job but like you're not paying me crap like why should i care about fixing the ship and then it's like because our lives depend on it and they're like all right you know i'm gonna buckle down and do my job now mm -hmm. and you know they died just like 
trying to make sure this place is still running and getting literally no thanks for it. Brett and Parker are such good characters to me. Yeah, um, they're okay. I I still think which character was the African American guy? I can't remember anyone's name because they're Parker. not well developed. I disagree. Whole yeah, Parker's and okay. Lambert, okay. Lambert, the lady that you're talking about, I think she just works. I think she works great as as a sort of opposition to Ripley. Like no, have... she's just cannon fodder. Oh, Everybody's no. in opposition to Ripley. First of all, nobody listens to her. The whole movie. Dallas that's listens like... to her the whole time. Who? Dallas, the captain, Tom Skerritt's character. He does not. She ardently asks him not to let the guy on the ship. And then the cyborg lets the guy on the ship, and the captain's like, well, he's already on the ship. But at the end... Like, why Dallas didn't they throw him out of the ship? Definitely on Ripley's side at the end. And the cyborg, Ash, was such a good character. I do not know where... Like, I'm fully disagree with you. <laughs> Ash is... I said Ash is okay, the cyborg. He's fine. He's relatively developed. The captain, eh, he could have been better, but he wasn't bad. I still think the whole cast... Honestly, the whole cast is pretty shallow. Like, no, nah, I disagree. I don't care if you disagree. I, 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 I know, but you know, this whole segment is is a debate. So, <laughs> I know, but you can't just say I disagree. I'm saying shallow because, like, I actually I'm gonna go back on what I said about the maintenance workers. They are the most well developed because they actually have like character dialogue i i don't really hear a lot of that from the other members yeah, of the cast we have so much character dialogue and kane does the whole time kane is just their a whole scientific man no 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 character look... character dialogue it doesn't count if it's just the same conversation over and over which it is dallas and ripley here's their entire their entire interaction through the whole movie uh why aren't you listening to me because i'm the captain go away no, uh, but you should listen to me. Well, too bad. I'm the captain, so my that is what not I say goes close to the truth. It, yeah. they have they have completely opposite opposite motivations that they hash out over and over. It's not just oh, I'm because I'm the captain. Dallas is incredibly loyal to the mission and mother, and wants to try and get this thing back um, in one piece because he thinks Ash is a trustworthy character. Ripley is incredibly like worried about the safety of the crew over all things. And when mm -hmm. Dallas realizes that Rip like that's their conversations, they have these like really ingrained emotional like backing behind them of why they're doing the things they do. And that's a good character. It's not just, oh, I want to do this. No, I'm the captain. I fully disagree with that. And I'm giving you evidence. I'm not just saying I disagree here. <laughs> no, I mean I hear what you're drawing from like the words, but I don't get that from the performances. Maybe it's just the flat '90s acting, but I I don't oh, know. Oh, Pretty lame. Man. Okay, it's lame. They're super flat characters, dude. They are super not, flat. Super not flat. flat. Not flat acted. They're well acted. Disagree. I think they're super flat. Super boring. Uh, to me, that's how the conversation felt the entire and time. That board it was game just of the that week. back and forth board, board game of the week. Which is good because I was getting real heated. <laughs> yeah, good. All right, board game of the week. What do we got this week? We are talking about another, sticking to the theme of the month, uh, resource management type game called Stone Age. Yeah. Well, yeah, I kind of remember. I've played it twice with you. Um, 
And I described it, I think you disagreed, but I described it as kind of like in between Catan and Terraforming Mars. It's not nearly as complex as Terraforming Mars. It's Mm -hmm. definitely a lot more easy to play. So the gist of the game is you are the earliest dawn of civilization human beings, and you're trying to kind of like create a functioning village and get enough points on the board to be victorious and build the best kind of civilization in the stone age um it has you know the usual uh resource management tropes in a board game but it plays really fun and it plays a lot easier than terraforming mars but it just has a few more um elements than Catan does mm-hmm. uh, where you're kind of you're paying attention to a few more pieces on the board but not in the same way as terraforming. I think there's less ways to win than terraforming. So, yeah. Yeah. I I would say it depends, I guess, on what you consider difficult. One thing that makes Stone Age a little harder is that you can't barter or anything with the other players. You're on your own completely and in competition with your enemies. So competition is a little more direct, where in Catan you end up you know, you can kind of work with other people to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, Stone Age is also less luck-based, substantially, um, which is something I like more about it. Uh, any game that takes luck out of the equation um, and puts it in the hands of your engine you build and your resource management style, I think is is a little more rewarding, in my opinion. So I kind of like Stone Age better for that reason, and I could see why you think it's a little harder. I wonder how much of that is that you've played Catan a lot more. Yeah, that could be it. I played Catan a lot in college. Yeah. I think as far as understanding the games, they're pretty similar once you learn them. But I, uh, the one other thing I do like about Stone Age a lot better than Catan is that you can very effectively play it with two, pe- with two people. Mm. Whereas Catan, you, pre- you pretty much have to have at least at least three yeah. And I've never tried a three player game, but I can't imagine it would be nearly as fun as a four player game. No, four is four is the preferable number for sure. Yeah. But so yeah. Yeah. Stone Age is a fun game. Resource management. We stuck to the theme uh this month and probably switch it up to something else next month. Yeah. We'll find a playthrough and throw a link in the description. Stone Age is really fun though. Definitely highly recommend it. It was the first uh, like harder board game that I actually played. I played that even before Catan, so it was my gateway drug, and it definitely hooked me enough to want to play tons of other games just like it and much harder than it. So I highly recommend Stone Age. Very fun. All right, now to quote Dirty Harry, well, the movie, not the not the character. I got to know. <laughs> what what do I think about Alien? Yeah. Um. Mostly I lied. Oh, God. Yeah, I lied about... I definitely lied about the flat characters and stuff. Uh-huh. Although I do think 90 actors are not as good as actors these days. I think it's kind of like fighting and football and everything that humans do. We're constantly evolving and improving. And um, not to say that there were no good actors back then. I'm not saying that by any means. No. Um, just, I think movies are just, mm, in a lot of ways, better written, better better made and that's not yeah you know that's just one of those statements that's way too broad to be completely true obviously yeah. 
But you know, you know what I mean. I mean, there's like that style of acting from the older days, and yeah, I, I a get... lot of it falls flatter. And I think a lot of that does have to do with like literally just equipment and stuff. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, it was harder to record good sound. It was harder to record footage because you had to do it on film. So you had less takes and mm-hmm. everything was just more difficult by like tons, but tons more difficult. These days with digital, you can do a million takes and it doesn't even matter. So you're always going to get the best out of your actors if they're professionals and they can hold up to that work- heavier workload, you know. So I don't know. I That's an opinion of mine that I don't think is necessarily empirically true by any means. In Alien specifically, I do still think it's there. You know, it's very old acting, old equipment. So the acting of that time uh, does kind of, isn't always necessarily my cup of tea. There's kind of a, a certain way that they used to do it. And you can always kind of see it when you're watching an older film. Um, and again, there's excellent actors out there. Sigourney Weaver is an excellent actress. John um, Hurt, Tom Skerritt. I think they were, I mean, they were all good and they all had like long lasting careers for a reason and they adapted to their times, but yeah, I don't know. It, I, I guess I can kind of see that. Um, I don't think I see it as much. Um, no, that's largely personal preference too. I mean, I tend to be re- relatively modern in general with my literature that I like to read with movies. I prefer to watch shows. I prefer to watch. Mm-hmm. kind of across the board a, a little more into mostly modern things so that's that's more a personal preference than anything i don't i do think this movie was miles and miles and miles ahead of its time mm-hmm. um in terms of well in terms of really everything i mean while other horror movies were i can't even hardly watch them these days with the let like with the cheese level mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i really can't old horror movies in particular of all old movies old horror movies are really not my cup of tea mm-hmm. and alien though is an excellently made movie uh it is really well written the actors did a great job they're way ahead of their time the writing is ahead of its time the the sets and stuff are phenomenal i mean yeah the computers are <laughs> totally whack but it's Very like <laughs> they, they have no idea there's no, no way to predict what we have today in 1979 um, you can think of like what an apple computer would look like in 2022 like it's just impossible well no i mean look at what we're doing right now like yeah, yeah. we're on a computer talking to each other across the nation and hosting a podcast like without a contract with a radio station or anything mm-hmm. you know it's it's insane that couldn't have never predicted where the world was going to go social media tinder like <laughs> in 1979 people had no idea that when i rewatch movies like the thing and alien though i kind of think in a lot of ways not in the independent sphere i will i will put that caveat but in the blockbuster horror sphere we've regressed because those movies maybe not the thing but alien was a big deal it was like a mainstream film and mm-hmm. it played off this tension of the scariest parts are the things you don't see and i feel like in mainstream horror we've really gone away from that so much of it now is like what's the goriest scariest cgi thing we can program like how wild and outrageous can we look alien doesn't look that horrific when you see the monster like yeah there's a bit to it 
Um, and there's the gory part of like the chest burster, which none of the cast knew about, by the way. That's one of my favorite fun movie facts. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 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 terror is really in the moments in between those, like when you're not seeing the thing and you're like, oh my gosh, where is it? Is it in the hallway? Is it in that vent? Is it in the next vent? Um, like, what are they going to do? There's no place on the ship that's safe. Just that feeling of dread, which I think indie cinema now does really well. Like The Witch does that really well. It's one of my favorite examples. Hereditary did it fairly well. But mainstream horror, a lot of the stuff I see now, like, it's all about like, oh, what's the scariest looking monster we can, we'll show it as fast as we can. And it's like, I don't know. I, I watch the thing and I watch Alien and I'm like, why don't we do this anymore? <laughs> you know? Hmm. I don't agree with that, really. I, I think we still do that. And I think the best horror movies are the ones that use effective psychological means of horror. Over. I'm not saying that. That's why I gave the caveat. But I don't think they're necessarily the most like mainstream ones anymore. Hmm. Like the biggest, the biggest blockbuster movies. I mean, Hereditary did have pretty big blockbuster success. But, you know, a lot of our favorite horror films don't. We talk about them all the time, but they didn't have financial blockbuster success. What about Insidious? I think Insidious still, it like, yes, it's a very good movie um, and a very good horror movie, but a lot of the jump scares come from like, how creepy can I make this thing look? And the, the, the in-between, I don't think, is as, as developed. And I think that comes from what you're talking about of like the technology they had at the time. They just couldn't do the things we do now <laughs> so they yeah. had to make those those spaces in between the tension because that's what they had to play with that was their toolbox um, oh what about the baba duke not that not a blockbuster well it's australian yeah that's what i'm saying that's it was in australia point. wasn't it i don't know if it was in america what i'm saying in the in the blockbuster american horror sphere because this aliens an american horror film sometimes i don't love the direction it's gone Hmm. i guess i i worry about idealizing the past i don't like doing that and i think that that could be because like what were the other movies that were mainstream horror at that time aside from the thing what texas chainsaw also i mean i would I we could have a whole another argument about Texas Chainsaw. I think it's great. Friday the Thirteenth, not good. Halloween didn't hold up. Texas Chainsaw, I think, kind of has in ways. But, also super gory though. Yeah, but it's not and jump scares. It takes forever, and it it builds up that tension. That's what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to idealize the past because I agree with you that like Alien sticks out like a sore thumb because most of the movies around it are campy crap. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, which I yeah, that's my where my confusion's coming from. Where you say why don't we do this anymore? I still don't think we were really doing it back then. I think Alien did it, and that's what makes Alien a classic. It still wasn't the main thing that people were doing. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, you're right on that. I guess, I guess wording it I just think I think we. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think we rely a little too much on our technology and horror these days. And that's why the indie horror scene flourishes so much is because they have a... I feel like the smaller a horror movie's budget is sometimes, the better. Hmm. Yeah. Because they, they have to like build that tension with the things they don't have at their disposal. Right. 
And uh, there's another good example where, like, Baba Duke is, I think, was like a mid-range budgeted movie, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they don't have like a. They have some scenes with the Baba Duke, but he is not like in every scene because that's expensive. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and not just because that's expensive, but it was also written to to be that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying that I just, I think that you can definitely make a case still that mainstream horror, the good ones still exist and are still blockbusters like anything Jordan Peele does. You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know about his new one coming out. We're going to review that on here, but again, back to alien. Um, <laughs> most of my beefs with alien that, uh, that were real, are kind of arbitrary because they're mostly just like the movie's old and I'm not the biggest fan of old movies and you you can uh, crucify me for that I don't I don't care what you think about <laughs> my opinion on that I think Alien was a founding father of the modern horror genre that I love so much so mm-hmm. I love Alien for that Here's mm-hmm. where here's where I come from I think older movies took their time a lot better than some newer ones and yes that kind of i think it's a personal preference thing that i have against you against your personal preference here i love when a movie slows down takes its time gives me long drug out frames gives me that like zone in on one area kind of sit with that moment because you have a film camera and you can't cut a bunch i love that it is one of my favorite parts of film is when you get this drawn out kind of masterful framing of a scene. And I think a lot of old movies do that to my liking. I think there are good movies and bad movies and there always have been. And those good movies from the olden days are the ones we still watch and still talk about as classics. Right. Um, However, Here's what I'm talking about as a, as a broader spectrum. I think there were a lot of things in old movies that annoyed me uh, and that make me like not want to watch them anymore. And a lot of that is in like that sort of more rigid form of acting in a lot of movies. Not necessarily Alien, but lots of old movies. There was sort of a more rigid theatrical form of acting that was still kind of prevalent. There is the crappier equipment, the lower special effects stuff like that that's prevalent in all those movies that I can't help but see. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I think we've done away with a lot of that. But I still think in the in the newer age. Not, now, the newer age has come with plenty of things that I also don't like, like the overuse of CGI, for example. The um, general oversaturation of everything. Yeah. Uh, the remake <laughs> craze I hate. Um, so th- does that point make sense? That's really what I was trying to argue. Yeah. That just mean, a lot of the things that are that are common in those older movies are things that I don't necessarily care to watch. And a lot of them are gone in newer movies that are still telling stories just as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we could debate this for hours, I think, <laughs> because, you know, I, I do agree with you in part and also... And also, I disagree with you. <laughs> also, in part, some some parts I do disagree with you. But I mean, mm-hmm. I think that'd be another like thirty minute conversation, where you know, I think it comes down to a lot of personal preference between us. And that mm-hmm. when I find myself rewatching movies, 
um i i don't rewatch a lot of modern stuff so i don't know it might be just a personal preference i have of some of the ones that have stuck with me from the past that i don't find rigidly accurate but i, I rewatch a lot of classics and and I think maybe that's just my personal preference and really appreciating those movies. <laughs> Overall, uh, I think we'd both recommend Alien. Um, it's old. So if you're not into like old movies um, like me, if you just sort of don't don't prefer them, then I still say you should watch Alien because it does. And there's a reason I kept saying 90s acting because I until I looked it up, forgot that Alien was from the from 79. It does feel like a movie from like 1998. So it's literally like two decades ahead of its time. You should definitely watch it. It's a very good horror, horror sci-fi. It's a classic. And if you haven't already seen Alien, then you are missing out on like founders of of the horror genre in film. And I mean, I can't recommend it highly enough. I love it. If anyone wants to debate with me about why it's better than Aliens, which a lot of people think is the better of the two. I would love <laughs> to have that debate. James Cameron is a master at just making sequels that people like more for some reason. I don't know why people like Aliens more than Alien. I think Aliens is great, but it's an action film. <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I vastly prefer the slow burn of Aliens. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else that's non binary, thank you for tuning in to Sinister Soup yet again. Uh, We'll put links to where to follow us. Check out our Cultures of the Week, also going to be linked down there. Check out Stone Age, the board game, and watch Alien by Ridley Scott and Company. Until next week, I have been Claver Mullum. And I have been Travis Mullum. And we are both still those people.